This morning we're on number seven of Wilderness University, and this is on receiving God's Word. You know, there was it was really an amazing event, and Ben alluded to it a little bit last week, but when God gave His people the Ten Commandments, up until that point, God spoke to Moses, and Moses told the people what God said. But that changed. God said, I want to meet with my people. And I want to speak to my people. And, you know, he met with his people. Mountains smoked and fire and the whole mountain shook and lightning. And it must have been a pretty amazing and uh, frightening experience. And in that event, God gave his people the Ten Commandments. He gave them His Word, His commandments, His ways. And there was so much other stuff going on, the people basically said, you know, I don't know if we can handle this God. It's a little too much. They were afraid. And so they came to Moses and said, Moses, if you don't mind, why don't you just keep meeting with God and, and, and be our go-between? Be the one who hears from God. We can't handle the awesomeness of this God. So that's, that's what happened is God wanted to draw the people to draw near and, and they couldn't handle it. But what I want to talk about is when God gave his people his word. You know, as I I read through the Ten Commandments that he listed, and we're going to go through them in just a moment, the very first thought I had was, what would it have been like if God had decided not to give us his ways? What if he had decided to not give us the Ten Commandments or anything else concerning his ways? What if he had decided not to reveal to us What he's like. You know, we would be a mess. God felt it was extremely important for us, his people, to know his ways. Now, there are some people who say the Ten Commandments don't really apply to us. But, you know, the things that are mentioned here, they haven't really changed. So let's go through. It's in the first 17 verses of Exodus 20. Uh, Let's just go through those. Then the Lord gave these people, gave the people all these instructions. I'm the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God but me. You must must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children, to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commandments. You must not misuse the name of the Lord, your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week to to do your ordinary work. 
But on the seventh day, it's a Sabbath day of rest, dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons, your daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, but on the seventh day he rested. This is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart holy. Honor your father and your mother. Then you will live a long and full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely against your neighbor. You must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife or male female servant or ox or donkey or anything else that belongs to your neighbor, not even your iPhone. It doesn't matter. Now, I want you to just think just for a moment. The principles behind these Ten Commandments have never changed. And if you notice, the first four commandments were all related because they all had to do with God wanting to be their only God. Don't have any other gods before me. Don't make something with your hands that you start worshiping. Why? Because I want to be your only God. And then... Don't take the name of the Lord. Why? Because He is holy. And then don't get so busy in your life that you won't take a day per week aside to worship God. Why? Because He wants to be your God. All of those have to do really with the same thing. He wants to be your God. He wants you to be His personal, intimate relationship with you. And then the, all the others, the other six, they all have to do with his character and his nature. And none of those change. Murder is still wrong. Adultery is still wrong. Stealing is still wrong. It's always been wrong for thousands of years. And I thought, you know, the, the Bible is not a suggestion manual. It is an explicit, specific revelation of who God is and His ways. This is where we learn something about God. Now, this is not the only place that God gives commands. And then what happened when Jesus came? Jesus came and He gave us the clarification of who God is. Because... One question I immediately thought, he just said, don't make any graven images. Twelve chapters later, in Exodus 32, what are they doing? They're making a golden calf, (laughs) and they're having a wild party, worshiping this golden calf that they made out of gold, out of their earrings, and out of their uh, personal gold item. They created and molded a golden calf, and they're worshiping that. And Moses is up on the mountain, and God says, you need to go down there and take care of this situation before I destroy them all. So, why? Why, in chapter 20, do they hear an amazing God say, don't make any graven images, and then just a little while later, they're making graven images? You know, one of the great differences between the Old and the New Testament. The Old Testament is full 
of what you shouldn't do. But it does not give you the power, the ability to do it. You're told what you shouldn't be doing and what you should do, but you're not given the power and the ability. And you had that constant reminder of sin because they had to keep doing those sacrifices over and over. Why? Because those sacrifices never gave a full forgiveness of sin. But in the New Testament, praise God, we have a brand new relationship, a better covenant with our God, one where sin is dealt with completely. And we are given the power of the Holy Spirit to live the kind of life that He calls us to live. So that's one of the main reasons why these people didn't really get it in chapter 20. They heard. But one thing that I see from this, and that is the way you receive God's Word will determine the direction of your life. And this applies to us now. You say, okay, Brother Renee, this is 3,000 years ago. The Ten Commandments were given. Well... It applies to us because we have the responsibility to receive God's Word today. And we, we have a whole lot more than the Ten Commandments. We have the principles of God and who God is in the Old Testament, but we also have everything Jesus said, everything He told us about who God is. So we have all of this understanding of who God is, Old and New Testament, And the way we receive God's Word will pretty well determine what we believe, and then what we believe will determine the way we walk, the way we live. So to me, this is wilderness, university lesson that we need to understand how to receive, receiving God's Word. And that's what we want to talk about today. How do we receive God's Word? We know they didn't retain it very much. (laughs) They didn't walk in it very well. They complained, they moaned, they groaned, they served other gods, they created false gods. They didn't keep God's ways very well. And we've already talked about why, one of the reasons why they didn't. But let's just think about us now. Let's jump into 2017. How do you receive God's Word? Who are you listening to? Whose words do you believe? What do you believe about God's Word? You know, the the answer to those questions will pretty well determine the course of your life. So the very first thing that I think God wants us to understand, and that is, God wants us to know His ways. Say that with me. God wants us to know His ways. It was important that we know His ways. He gave us these commands because He wanted us to know His way. He still wants us to know His way. Jesus continually revealed God's ways. Look, if you would, to John chapter 12. I want you to think about a verse that Jesus gave us in John 12. In verse 47, it says this. This is important. I will not judge those who hear me but don't obey me. For I've come to save the world and not judge it. But all who reject me and my message 
will be judged on the day of judgment by the truth I have spoken. I don't speak on my own authority. The Father who sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. Verse 50. And I know his commands lead to eternal life. So I say whatever the Father tells me to say. Now, I want to tell you, if Jesus said that, that tells me immediately that what he said is important. His commands, his ways lead to eternal life. If we're going to listen to God's word and we're going to receive God's word, then it tells me if I will listen and receive God's word and I will begin to know his ways and I will begin to understand his ways then those ways lead me to eternal life. Of course, you know Jesus is the way of life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And so the words, and it's kind of amazing, he says, you know, I'm not going to judge you. In the last day, it's it's not going to be Jesus, but the words that he spoke will judge every person. And you you immediately may say, well, what words? Well, I have a feeling some of the words that will judge us when he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father except through me. The words of Jesus that kept reminding us that we have to die to ourselves, that we give up our life. You know, if you hold on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you'll let go of your life, you will gain life. You know, throughout the New Testament, we have the words of Jesus that lead us to eternal life. And and I wonder today, how seriously do you take the words of Jesus? Do you just take his words like, well, so what? You know, that was Jesus. He tells us right here, we're going to be judged in the last day by what he spoke. That tells me it's pretty important. You see, the world wants you to believe that the Bible is optional. You know, whatever. Take it, leave it, doesn't matter. Satan is a little more subtle. Satan, he wants us... To believe that God's words is changeable. He doesn't deny the reality of God's word. But he says, oh, you can change it. Based upon what people believe. Based on what society says. Based upon what people think. How they feel. We'll just make it applicable for the situation. But God says his word is unchangeable. It's everlasting. His words will never pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. So it tells you the unchangeable nature of God's word. And one thing I want to say, and I I was in prayer this morning. I'd already prepared the message, and I was really just presenting the whole thing before the Lord early this morning. And and the Lord kind of chastened me and kind of reminded me of something that I had left out of my notes. And something I had neglected to talk about. And so I would like to mention that. And that is that the cleverness of the enemy to get us to, uh, I want to say this right, 
to diminish the importance of God's word. See, the enemy doesn't come up and say, the Bible's untrue. He doesn't do that. Why? Because he knows you won't buy that. But what he does, he's clever. He's subtle. Back in Genesis says the serpent was subtle, more subtle than any other creature. So he mixes a little light with darkness. That's always his trick. He mixes the good and the bad, and you take the bad because there's some good there. And then with the good and the bad, he's sown a seed that's not good because we took the good and the bad. Kind of like when you give your dog uh, a pill that they don't want to take on their own. You mash it up and you put it in their dog food and make it nice and juicy and good. And then you give it the dog. And if you have a dog, you know what I'm talking about. You know, uh, they don't take it any other way. But that's the way the devil does. He mixes it up with something that tastes real good. I want to share with you the verse that the Lord put on my heart this morning. It's in Second Corinthians chapter 11. And two passages in 11. First passage is verse 3 and 4. It says this, But I fear somehow that your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted, just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. Look at verse 4. This is amazing. You happily put up with whatever anyone tells you. Now, like they're reading from the Internet even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach or a different kind of spirit than the one you received or a different kind of gospel than the one you received. He said, you just put up with anything. And then he explains a little bit how that happens a little bit later on. He goes in verse 13 and 14. He goes on in the same chapter. He says this. These people, referring to the people that are deceiving them, says these people are false apostles. They are deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. But I'm not surprised. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no wonder that his servants, referring to Satan's servants, also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. In the end, they will get the punishment their wicked deeds deserve. So so what he's talking about is the way the enemy is so clever. He's so clever, so subtle. He will get ministers to preach something, and it appears good. It appears right. Love of God. The mercy of God. You know, something, who could be against it? But as you get hooked on that good stuff, they don't tell you the bad stuff. Then once you get hooked and you start listening to all this, then the stuff that's not so good starts slipping in. And he says, these, he says, these ministers, if Satan made himself to be an angel of light, so will his ministers. You know, a couple of years ago, I don't know if you remember this, there's a minister named Rob Bell. And, you know, Rob Bell, I mean, if back in the old church, we had... Uh, videos of Rob Bell when he was doing video things that, you know, he did a great job with some of those. We showed some of them. We followed some of his Bible studies. He's a pretty popular guy. But, and you know, 
He didn't start out saying, I'm going to be led by Satan. And I don't believe he started out saying, I'm going to be a a minister of Satan. He started out, I think, with a good heart. But here's the clever, subtle tactic of the enemy. He started focusing only on the goodness and the mercy and the kindness and the grace of God. And that's all he focused on. Goodness of God, mercy of God, good works. And then one day, to the surprise of many, because we were not totally, you know, a lot of us in the rest of the United States were not totally involved in his ministry. We just kind of heard things and sermons. One day he came out and said, well, I've decided that since God is so good, and since he's so full of mercy, and since he's so loving of a God, there's no possible way there could be a hell. And there's no possible way that God would send anyone to hell. And in fact, the devil is going to get saved and he will go to heaven. And then, I don't know, I saw this just the other day. He was on TV with Oprah Winfrey and, and, and now he's really gone out in left field. I mean, before I thought he was in left field, he, he's out of the ballpark now. Because now he basically, I heard of him and he was talking. He said, it doesn't really matter whether you believe in Buddha or Muhammad or Jesus. They're all the same. They all get you to heaven. God is love. And I, I sat there and I listened to him and I thought, oh, Rob, how far you have fallen, man. But this is the way the enemy does it. It's clever, subtle. He focused only on the goodness of God. Now, I want to say this. This is one reason I believe in a good local church. Because in a good local church, you should get both the kindness and goodness and the severity of God. You need to see the balance of both sides of God. God is a wonderful God who loves you and cares for you. But He's also a holy and a righteous God. And you have to have the balance of both, and you should get that from a good local church. Here's the danger. And this is what some people do. They, they stay home and they just watch Internet, they watch TV, and they play on their phone and iPad, and they, and they think that's all they need. They don't need church. But then if they don't watch it, they're picking up somebody that it's all one-sided. It's not balanced. And they're not getting the other side. And when Rob Bell started out, he wasn't saying anything about hell being not real. He just started out talking about the goodness of God. And everybody could say, oh, yeah, good, God's good. But it pulled a lot of people in. So I just want to caution you. God wants us to know His ways. But His ways include both sides of who God is. He is a God of love and mercy and compassion. And I say it all the time. I encourage you. He is a good God. He loves you. He cares for you. He forgives you. But I also try to tell you, He's a holy God. And that all the things that He said about things that were wrong, they're wrong. See, that's what happened. You start preaching the goodness 
And then you start saying, well, hey, it's okay to shack up and it's okay to live in sin and it's okay to, to do this and it's okay to steal and it's okay. You know, you start diminishing the importance of those things and you just focus on the goodness of God. And you can't do that. You know, after the people of God in Exodus 20, after they told Moses... Moses, we can't handle this, God. We, we do, it's too much. I want you to look in verse 20, Exodus 20, 20. Look what he said. Look what Moses said. He said this, don't be afraid, Moses answered them. This is a few verses after the Ten Commandments. He said this, for God has come in this way to test you and so that your fear of him will keep you from sinning. It is the reminder that he is a holy God, an awesome God that keeps you from sinning. One of the other reasons why the people of God didn't walk in his ways, they had no fear of God. Yeah, they knew. They just heard the Ten Commandments. They knew, but they didn't do because they had no fear. That kind of leads us to the next thing we need to know about receiving God's word. And that is, and that is, Not only do we need to know God's way, but we need to keep His ways. You see, there's a big difference between knowing and doing. Everybody figure that out? Just because you know it doesn't mean you do it. Look what the book of James has to say about this. James chapter 1, verse 21. It says this, So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives. Humbly accept the word of word God is planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. Four, if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself. You walk away. And you forget what you look like. You didn't do a thing about it. Kind of like your hair is a mess, you know, and you're going every which way. And and you just look terrible. And the whole idea behind looking in the mirror is to do something about it, but you didn't do anything about it. Hey, what would you even look in there for if you're not going to do something about it? If you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. It's like having this, you're really hungry, man, you're starving to death, and you have this, oh, beautiful table with food just lavished all over, and you sit down and you tell the people, oh, I'm so hungry. Oh, man, I'm hungry. And they say, man, here it is. It's available here. Here you go, man. But you don't eat. That food doesn't do you much good, does it? You need to eat it to fill you. Well, the same thing. What good is it to know but don't do? I had someone a couple of months ago. They said, Brother Nay, I said, you know, it just seems like God is not speaking his revelation to me. And I knew a few things about his situation. And this is what I said. I've tried to be careful in the way I said it. I said, brother, have you ever considered 
that God would not give you more revelation when you really haven't acted on the revelation he's already given you. Think about that. Why would God give you more revelation if you haven't acted upon the revelation he's already given you? If he's spoken to you, this is something you need to do. But you just walked away. You said, well, okay, I need to do that. I'm not going to do it. Why would he give you more? So you need to consider, are you walking, doing, keeping his ways? And I tell you, God knows who's hungry. In this room, he knows every heart and he knows whether you're really hungry to walk in his ways. He knows. He knows if you're just a hearer. And he knows if you're a doer. Say, Lord, speak to my heart. I'll walk in your ways. I will obey your ways. If you speak to my heart about this area, I will do it. God knows. But he also knows if you're playing games. And you say, oh, Lord, speak to my heart. But he's already spoken to you and you didn't done it. He also knows that too. So I want to encourage you. Not only God wants us to know his ways, he wants us to keep his ways. Then the last thing I want us to see, and that is, he wants his words to come alive in us. He wants his word to come alive. What was the purpose, the ultimate bottom line? Why did God want to give us his word? So we're talking about receiving his word. We want to know it. We want to walk in it. What was the final end game? The plan of God was so amazing. And that was to reveal to you his ways, then to tell you that you're a sinner, unable to do that on your own, but then tell you about Jesus who died on the cross, forgave you of all of your sin. If you would simply surrender your life to him, then he would come and live inside of you. In the person of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit would come to live inside of you. And all of a sudden, you would have the power to live the way you want to live. Now, watch this. In the beginning, who was Jesus? The Word, right? It says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. And there was not anything that was created that was not created by him. So that tells me back in Genesis when God was speaking the word and the world was coming to life and being created, it was Jesus who was the word in the beginning who was speaking things into existence. That's why John 1 says there was not anything made that was not made by him. Why? Because he's the word. Now, we receive Jesus And the person of the Holy Spirit. Now what does he want to do? He wants to be the Word once again. He was the Word in the beginning. Now he wants to be the living Word. It was not by chance that 37 and a half years ago we wanted to call the church Living Word 
church because it was my desire to want to have the Word of God to come alive in us. You see, it's powerful in black and white. But there are two steps to the power of the Word of God. The first step is when I read it, and now all of a sudden it goes from black and white to power to change my life. But there's a second step. Now, as I am submitted to God and the Holy Spirit's living inside of me, now I speak the Word of God, and now the Word of God is powerful and sharp like a two-edged sword, and lives are changed. Look at Hebrews 4, what I'm referring to. Hebrews 4, I love this. 12 and 13, for the Word of God is what? It's alive and powerful. It's sharper than the two-edged sword. Cutting between the soul and the spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes the innermost thoughts and desire. Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before His eyes. And He is the one to whom we are accountable. The Word of God, like a two-edged sword, not single-edged, double-edged. That means you speak the Word of God, and it's powerful. But there's another edge. Cuts this way, too. Cuts in our life. And so God wants His Word To come alive in you. That's always been the plan. Christ in you. The hope of glory. The word of God. That spoke the world into existence. Came and lived as a man. And then. That sinless man. Jesus died on the cross. And said it's expedient that I go. For if I go. I will send my Holy Spirit to you. And so the plan was always for His Holy Spirit to come and live inside of us. And when Jesus lives inside of us, and you get a hold and receive God's Word, now all of a sudden, the Word of God is a two-edged sword. He wants you to speak the Word of God like a two-edged sword. And it has power. It's active. It will change people's lives. Not to cut and kill them. But notice what the word does. It separates and divides. It reveals intent. You know, you don't have to condemn people. Just tell them what the word says. This is what God's Word says. They ask you and they say, Well, I'm thinking about living with my girlfriend. What do you think? You don't even have to say, I think it's wrong. You just say, Well, have you considered what God's Word says? God's Word says it's wrong. And you can read to them. You can start right there. 
in Exodus 20 and all through the New Testament. It's wrong. It's always been wrong. It's still wrong. In love, with a good heart, considering yourself in humility, speak the word of God and lives are changed. Lives are changed. And I just want you to know, He wants to change your life. If you're empty today, He wants to fill you. If you're hopeless today, He wants to give you hope. If you're discouraged today, He wants to encourage you. Every stronghold, He wants to break those strongholds in your life. If you don't know Jesus, He wants you to know Jesus. He wants you to have the Word of God to come alive in your heart. How does that happen? It happens when you surrender to Jesus. and Say, Lord Jesus, I give you my heart and my life. I surrender to you, Lord. And if your life is falling apart here today, and all kinds of terrible and difficult things have happened in your life, God's trying to get your attention. He's trying to get your attention. He loves you. He cares about you. But step one has always been and will always be surrender. You've got to surrender. It's not just knowing. And you know, you don't get to heaven because your mama knows it, God. You don't get to heaven because your daddy is a great guy. You have to know him personally. You have to know Jesus for yourself. There has to be that personal surrender. I surrender. I surrender my life to the Lordship of Jesus. You know, I thought as I was preparing this morning, I thought, you have the opportunity to leave this room with no sin in your life. Amazing. You can walk into this room with your life filled with sin. And you have the opportunity to walk out with no sin. Cleansed, washed, forgiven, and no sin. And you can start over. You've messed up. You failed. Great news. You can start over. You can begin anew. It's all about surrender. Surrender. Let's pray. Lord Jesus. In the beginning you were the word, Lord. You spoke the world into existence. You became a man. Your name was Jesus. Lived a sinless life. And willingly went to the cross for us. You shed your incorruptible blood for our sin. Not your sin, but our sin. You died a cruel death 
on the cross. Knowing that your death would give us new life. So Lord, I ask you. There are individuals in this room who need to surrender to you. So they can have that new life. I pray, Lord, that pride might be done away with. If they could humbly say, Lord, I need you. I need you for myself. God's speaking to some hearts this morning. He's speaking to individuals this morning. God's speaking to you this morning. Think today. Not next week, today. You need to surrender to His Lordship. Today, you need to make Him Lord of your life. Today, you need to start over. You've messed your life up and God says it's time to start over. Time to let God take over in your life. I'm going to ask you if you would, every person in this room, to stand to your feet. We're going to sing that song we sang earlier. You are for me. I'm going to ask you to sing it with us. And in just a moment, I'm going to ask many of you to come and surrender your life and let God start over in your life. Let's sing it. get out of your seat come down to the front I want to pray with you you want to start over in your life you want to begin anew in your life you want Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life God is calling he's been speaking to some of you this week would you come right now and say yes Lord here I am I want to obey you I want to walk in your ways would you come anyone Would you just say, yes, Lord, I want to start over in my life. Anyone, 
you're willing to say, yes, Lord, I want to start over in my life. Lord, come into my heart. Yes. Thank you, young man. Thank you. Thank you, ladies. Anybody else? Yes. Thank you. Thank you. You want to start over in your life and say, I I, I need God to take over in my life. You know, it doesn't matter how many times you fail. It really doesn't. It doesn't matter how many times you fail. All that matters is that you say, Lord, here I am. I want you to take my life and start over with my life. And it all starts with surrender. It all starts with saying, Lord, I give you my heart and I give you my life. I want to start over, Lord. I want you to be Lord of my life. There's somebody else. I'm going to wait just a moment. I don't know who. God's been speaking to you all week and he's saying, this is your opportunity. This is your opportunity. Why turn that opportunity down to start over? Thank you, young man. Thank you. All right, here we go. Thank you. Thank you, young man. Yes. Okay, this is where we're, go- we're just going to make a simple prayer. I'm just going to ask you to pray out loud with me. This is not joining a church. This is just saying, God, I want you to take over my life. It's just that simple. And here's the amazing thing. As you pray with me, if you're sincere, God forgives you of all of your sin. It's amazing. No matter what you've done. No matter what you've done, God wants to forgive you and start over. He wants to put His Holy Spirit inside of you. Give you the ability and the power to live the kind of life you really want to live. I'm going to ask you just to pray out loud with me. Would you do that? And if y'all want to pray with me, stretch out your hand. Let's pray. Let's do it out loud, guys, ladies. Lord Jesus, I love you. I confess I'm a sinner. I've messed up. I can't do it in my strength. I come to you, Lord. I surrender. Be Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sin. Take over, Lord. I surrender to you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Change me, Lord, from the inside out. Make me a brand new person. Thank you, Lord, that you love me enough to forgive me and start over again. Thank you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I belong to you now, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. According to the Word of God, the Bible says He just took out your old heart and gave you a new heart. Amazing. (laughs) Like heart surgery. Spiritual heart surgery. I don't understand it. All I know is that what God does, and that's what He's done in my life, and it's what He's done in thousands of people's lives. It's amazing. It doesn't mean you're going to be perfect from this point forward, but it means you have the power of the Holy Spirit be able to start walking in His ways.